I'm, I, and I can't say never because never's a really long time, but I hope that I don't ever, ever, ever take for granted singing with God's people in one place together ever again. Amen? Thank you, Jonas and worship team, for leading us. We're coming back to Psalm 119 today. It is the A Sunday, S-C-A-N, sufficiency, clarity, authority, necessity. Those are the four attributes that we learn about God's word from Psalm 119. This is the third of four weeks, so it's the A Sunday, the A Sunday. Um, We're going to, we've been reading through um, the 176 verses of Psalm 119, 44 verses at a time because 176 divided by Four is 44, so 44 verses at a time or close to it. Today we're going to read um, verse number 89 through 136, and then we're going to come back and zoom in and talk about the authority of God's word from uh, verses 89 through 91. So here we go. Psalm 119, 89 through 136. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word, here's that famous verse, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give, my, give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I, I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, and for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. Verse 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep your commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain." All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. 
Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right, and I hate every false way. Verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears, because people do not keep your law. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and add his blessings to it. Let's pray now. Lord, you have exercised authority perfectly. Lord, you have wielded justice perfectly. We can't imagine the perfect exercise and the perfect wielding of justice and authority because we are shrouded by sin. Help us to see and love your authority perfectly now. Perfectly expressed through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, you may want to go back to verse number 89 through 91. Those are the three verses we're going to be in today. Three verses, three points um, is where we're going to zoom in. Two battleships assigned to a training squadron, had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing reported, Captain, light bearing on the starboard bow. Is it steady or is it moving astern, he asked. And the lookout replied, steady, Captain, which meant we were on a dangerous collision course with the ship. The captain then called to the signalman, signal the other ship. We are on a collision course. Advise you change course 20 degrees. Back came the signal. Negative. Advisable for you to change course 20 degrees. The captain said, reply, I am a captain. Now change course 20 degrees. And the reply came back, I'm a seaman second class. You had better change your course 20 degrees. And by that time, the captain was furious. He grabbed the radio receiver and barked, I'm a battleship, flagship of the finest Navy this world has ever known. We will crush you and barely feel the collision. Change course 20 degrees. And with that, the light shifted 20 degrees, and an answer came back. Affirmative, 20 degrees. Recommend you do the same. I'm a lighthouse. The battleship immediately changed course. While some authority is fabricated, there is authority that is there whether we like it or not. It's there whether we like it or not. The Word of God is authority, has authority. 
We're going to see from Psalm 119, verse 89 through 91, there are three reasons for the authority of God's word. Number one, it is unchanging. It is fixed. Number two, because of the nature of its author. And number three, because it always plays out practically as true. Number one, it's unchanging. Number two, because of the nature of its author. And number three, because it always plays out practically as true. So let's look at verse 89, point number one. The word is authoritative because it is unchanging. Forever, O Lord, forever, which is a really long time. I rarely use the word forever because my life changes so much. It's a dangerous word. I, don't, I try to stay away from using the words never or forever or always because those are absolutes and there's nothing absolute about me. Forever, though, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Forever your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Jehovah's word is not fickle or uncertain. It is settled. It is determined, predetermined, and determined, and ongoingly determined. Fixed, sure, immovable. Man's teachings change so often that, there, that you can never be settled or know exactly what somebody is going to say from day to day, year to year, time to time. I was reading a quote on Facebook this morning of an author that I had quite admired in days past. And she had put a quote on Facebook in 2016 that I thoroughly 100% agree with. And now I'm pretty sure she would thoroughly 100% not agree with. Okay? We changed. We are not fixed. But the Lord's word is from old the same and will remain unchanged eternally. Consider with me Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Or Revelation chapter 22, where a curse is pronounced over anyone who would seek to degenerate the word of God by making even a, it said, even a word, even a phrase, if it is dropped, let that person be accursed. Some men are never happier than when they are unsettling everything and everybody, but God's mind is not with them. The power and glory of heaven have confirmed each sentence which the mouth of God of the Lord has spoken and so confirmed it into eternity that it would stand the same. It's in heaven, settled, where nothing can touch it. No effort of man can affect what happens in heaven. The psalmist wrote a fit line for a worship hymn here in verse 89, because he knew that when we are tired of gazing upon the shifting sands of this life, the thought of God's fixed promises would be sweet like honey to our lips. God's purposes, his promises, his precepts are all settled in his own mind, and none of them can be disturbed. The grass withers, right? Say it with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Fixed. No place in existence does the reality or power and authority of God shine brighter than in the heavens. Here on earth, God and his authority are constantly questioned, right? Therefore, his communication with us is also questioned. In heaven, it's not like that at all. No one misunderstands who's in charge 
in heaven. No one misunderstands the power and authority of God. The law of God there is fixed and everyone knows it. It's fixed here as well, right? The law of the Lord, the word of God, is also, it's just as fixed here as it is there. It's just that sin has disrupted our ability to get with a program in the same way. So the word of God is fixed, number one. Number two, the word of God is authoritative because of the nature of its author. Because of the nature of its author. Verse 90. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Who has established the earth? The Lord, the author of the word. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. Here the Lord's name is given to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. What did he say? When Moses said, Lord, who am I to say has sent me? When he goes back to the Israelites and he said, I am that I am. The only self-determining, self-existent being to ever have existed. That's what my name is. Go tell them. He is self-explanatory. Our God is the ancient of days. The ancient of days. He cannot be measured with time. Exodus chapter 34, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth from generation to generation. It's difficult to wrap my mind around this concept as a finite person because we tend to think that the most important thing that's happening in the entire universe is what's happening right in front of us in this time period. It's very easy to become what I would call a chronological snob, thinking that what you're experiencing now or what you're going through now is the worst thing that's ever happened to anybody in the history of mankind ever or the best thing that's ever happened to anybody in the history of mankind ever. Newsflash, you only think the center of the universe is you because you're sinful, right? Because we are shrouded by our sin. God is not affected by the lapse of ages. This is hard to hear for most of us. Because we toil and we spin and we hope that our name will be remembered generation after generation after generation. I only know my grandfather's name back to four generations. And then I have to go, and only recently have we had places like Ancestry.com and so forth where we, have to, where we can investigate who our forefathers even were. Maybe you might have some big, tall lore of a, of a person you're related to or have a person who might be famous that you might remember their name, but give it a few more generations. Give it a few more generations. And it's the, the words of the scripture will come true that they're like a mist. You are going to live, you are going to spin, you are going to toil, then you're going to die, and after a few generations, nobody's going to know your name. Put that in your come to church and get feeling good, pipe and smoke it, right? But whose name will continue on forever? The Lord. From generation to generation, he remains the same. The promises remain the same. They're not worn out after centuries of use, for the divine faithfulness endureth forever. He has established the earth, 
and it remains. Nature is governed by fixed laws. The globe keeps its course by divine command and displays no erratic movements from side to side. The seasons observe their predestined order. The sea obeys the ebb and flow. And all things are marshaled in their appointed order. In point of fact, the only part of creation which seems to get confused about its role is us. Did you ever notice, brothers and sisters, while we all scoured social media day after day with fear over COVID-19, that the Bradford pear tree in Pastor Matt's front yard didn't get the memo? It was gorgeous. There was one morning while I refilled the hand sanitizer bottles in the foyer. We didn't quite know when we were coming back yet, but I was praying for you all and praying to the Lord that we bring us back soon, and so I wanted to, to practice like the farmer who prays for rain and then plows the fields. I prayed for you to come back and filled up the hand sanitizer bottles in preparation. And I noticed just on the ledge, just outside this window, you can still see the nest. I saw it there this morning, but there's no baby birds in it anymore. But when I saw that, there were five baby robins in the nest, sleeping soundly without a care in the world. And their mother, I saw her coming to and fro, back and forth, getting worms, bringing worms, getting worms, bringing worms to them to feed their endless appetites. Why was she doing this? Why was she working so hard while the rest of us lived in chaos? Why? Because she is perfectly unquestioning of her role assigned by the author, by her author, by her creator. Consider her ways this morning, oh man. Consider the rock-solid confidence in the divine ordaining decree of the author of God. There's an analogy between the word of God and the works of God, and especially in this, that they are both constant, fixed, and unchangeable. God's word, which established the world and told that robin to find worms, is the same which he has embodied in the scriptures by the word of the Lord where the heavens made, and especially by him who is emphatically the word with a big W. When we see the world keeping its place and all its laws abiding, we have assurance that the Lord will be faithful because what he has spoken still exists. The creation, the laws exist. The covenants, the special revelation of God still exists, still is strong, and will surely abide forever. I very much wrestled this week with the state of chaos, it seems many of the cities in our country have descended into, whether to address it directly or not. And the Lord led me to the fact that the most comforting thing that can be said to his people is simply to remind them of who he is. I'll say it again. Chaos swirls. The most comforting thing for God's people is to be reminded of who he is Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise and fall, there is still one king reigning over all. We will not fear, though the earth gives way, for our God is the ancient of days. Lest we fall victim, like I said earlier, to chronological snobbery, thinking somehow men loving darkness, doing evil, and returning evil for evil is in a futile attempt at justice is some sort of new phenomenon. It is not. Not at all. He has never relinquished his seat of authority. The author 
is still the author, and he never will relinquish his seat of authority. God is not caught off guard. He is not cowering in the heavens. Our captain is most decisively on the bridge, holding the wheel and in control. Now, as I've looked around in my own heart and then sought to pastor us through this dumpster fire we've called 2020 so far, I have seen apathy, I have seen despair, I have seen impulsive judgment, defensiveness, distrust, callousness, false gospel, lack of clarity, a willingness to assume the worst, fear of man, exhaustion, lack of direction, lack of heart awareness, idolatry, false identity, bitterness, anxiety, fear, gossip, slander, self-righteousness, divisiveness, and confusion about the mission of the church. And it sure does not feel like God is king and the Lord is on his throne. But I tell you today, all these things have nothing to do with him and everything to do with the evil one we call Satan who would seek to divide God's people in a time when they need to be unified about what it is that their job is. Understanding, like that mama robin understands her purpose, God's church, Christ's people, knowing what they're here for and what they are to be about doing. The Lord is king. Hear me this morning. The Lord is king. His eternal son is Jesus. His spirit abides in his people. And his communication to us is the very Bible you hold in your lap now. And Psalm 119 verse 165 says, A great peace, a great peace that we have, those that love his law. A great peace. And here's a clear truth from the word. We are not seeing terrible things in our culture because of how we voted. We are seeing terrible things because men love darkness rather than light. It has been so since the beginning, and it will be so until Christ's return. Just as the mother robin brings her chick's worms over and over and over again, rain or shine, because that is her God-ordained purpose and the Lord's redemptive plan, the church... God's faithful remnant must over and over and over again fulfill its purpose in season and out, in sickness and in health, in poverty or in wealth, in oppression or in, a free, in freedom, in chaos or peace. Here is our purpose. Are you ready? We herald the good news of Christ crucified for sinners, calling men out of darkness and into the marvelous light. We, we, our message is this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Long live King Jesus. People are in the street saying, we want justice. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who is both what? Just and justifier of the one who has faith in him. God is the God of the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner, and he exacts perfect justice in its time. We want equality. 
Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, and they were all singing all together, everybody, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever and ever. If there was ever a picture of equality, there it is. Understand this with me today, brothers and sisters. This world is groaning for God, groaning for Jesus, desperate for their author, And he has spoken to them with authority. Sufficiency, clarity, and authority. He has spoken to them and to us. Third point, verse number 91. The word is authoritative because it always plays out as true. The word is authoritative because it always plays out as true. The whole world, it says, look at it, It's subservient. All things are your servants. By your appointment, they stand. The word stands to this day. And all things, all disciplines, all sciences, all opinions, all thinking of man are subservient to God's word. One of the most packed meanings with meaning statements I've ever come across is when a grandpa in a very nonchalant way, leans back at, and as he watches his grandson and says the words, I wouldn't do that if I was you. You know, you know the scenario. It's the, a young buck is leaning a little too far over a lake or a, a young man is seeking to change an electrical outlet without first turning the breaker off. And the old timer says, what does he say? I wouldn't do that if I were you. He knows how the world works. He knows how this scenario plays out. And furthermore, he has the scars to prove how the scenario plays out. And it may not be this time or even the next time, but eventually the way that the world works catches up to foolish behavior. The house always wins. You play with fire, you will get burnt. Lie down with dogs, get up with fleas. There is an inevitability to our existence, a program to our existence. The smartest and strongest amongst us can't cheat it. There are no loopholes. It is inevitable that all things play out exactly as God has spoken them to be. Therefore, his words, his word is the final authority on everything to which they speak. All religion rests on authority. In fact, every academic discipline ever rests on some sort of authority. Every sphere of human inquiry needs authority. It needs clear, qualified voices to speak. Whether we realize it or not, we give someone or something the last word. Whether that's our parents, our culture, our community, our feelings, the government, peer-reviewed journals, opinion polls, impressions, Facebook, or the book. We give somebody or something the last word 
every time. For Christians, this authority is supposed to be the Old and New Testament. Of course, we can understand and, and misapply God's word, of course. But when interpreted correctly, paying attention to the context, like we talked last week, and the literary genre, thinking through what the author was actually trying to say in conjunction with the, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, the Bible is never wrong in what it affirms and must never be marginalized as anything less than the last word on everything that it teaches. It's often been pointed out that because the revelation of God is, it, he's revealed himself, you look at Romans 1 in two ways, by nature and by special revelation, which we understand to be the scripture. So almost like two books. Because the two books is from God, the two teach the same truth. So all truth is God's truth. And there is a, a, an actual, yes, that's true. All truth is God's truth. We can see, just as we observed in the mother robin, we can see things going on and we can perceive that God is at work and that he is speaking to us. But Romans 1 also makes it very clear that that is only a knowledge sufficient enough to condemn us because we know who God is. We know that a higher authority exists. We need yet a more clear and we need a, a revelatory word from God in order that we might be saved from who we are and from our rebellion. And we understand that has come in the form of the 66 books of the Bible. If all the facts could be known perfectly, we would find that the Bible and science do not contradict each other. Christians have nothing to fear from rigorous scientific investigation. And yet, if the Bible is our final authority, as it was for the Bereans, like the, pa the, ma excuse me, the passage from Acts that Pastor Matt, that's a tongue tie, read at the beginning of the service today, we would see it was their final authority. Paul taught something, then what did they do? They went back to the word to check to see if it was. They were allowing God's word to be the final word. We must, therefore, if we're going to exist in the spirit of the Bereans, which I would, I would say is a good thing, that we must be hesitant to scrub the Bible when it seems to contradict with assured results of science. Because remember, the word has nev never, ever, ever changed, and it will never, ever, ever change. Look at how, take 25 years, take five years, and, and examine it. And then come back and tell me that science is anything but unsettled. Changing constantly. Changing constantly. And I sympathize, because I'm one of these Christians who struggle to reconcile what they hear from scientists and what they see about the Bible on particular issues. But we should not be quick to dismiss these questions, of course, it is possible to read the Bible wrongly. It is possible for the church to miss the mark for a very long time. But every Christian should agree that if the Bible teaches one thing and scientific consensus teaches something else, we do not ditch the Bible. Okay? When the truths espoused in the scriptures don't seem that they will play out practically, I promise you, give it time, they will. They will. Many thoughtful Christians who affirm the inerrancy and final authority of Scripture and who study the Bible long enough and hard enough eventually stumble upon problems in the biblical text that don't afford simple solutions. There are dates and numbers that are hard to reconcile. They don't seem to fit. There are apparent discrepancies that are not easily harmonized and questions that don't seem to have answers. 
These may seem, this might seem like weird admissions in a sermon about the authority of God's word, but they shouldn't be because Christians should not be afraid to admit what we see. If Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, found some things in Paul's letters hard to understand, we too are bound to be perplexed every now and then about what we see in God's word. But given everything we can see about a biblical doctrine of scripture, we have no reason to be intimidated by difficulties and apparent, apparent discrepancies in the scriptures. Many of them are easily explained. Most of them, most of the rest of them have good, plausible solutions. And for the few humdingers that are left, there are possible explanations even if we aren't sure that we found the right one yet. Our confidence in the Bible is not an irrational confidence, brothers and sisters. Don't let anyone bully you into thinking that your confidence in the scriptures is irrational and that you're a caveman or archaic in your thinking because you somehow trust the Bible. Well, further, like, just hear me on this. The Bible, as far as a literary source, is head and shoulders above any other ancient text in existence today. Head and shoulders above. No one questions whether Homer wrote the Iliad. There are eight Greek manuscripts we have from Homer and the Iliad. We have thousands of Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. Thousands. You're not a caveman. And don't let anybody bully you into thinking that you're believing archaic things. You are taking truth that is time-tested and passed down from generation to generation to generation because God has ordained it so and made sure that you have a good, true, reliable copy of his communication to you in your mother tongue that you can continue to obey and follow The findings of history, archaeology, and textual criticism give us many reasons not to distrust but to trust the Old and New Testament. But more than all the apologetic evidence I could give you, all these disciplines are at best, what did Psalm 119.91 say to us? They're what? What do they exist to the word as? These things are your servants. These truths are the truths of men, what we have discovered on our own, and therefore they might help bring clarity to the truth of God and better understanding to the word and truth of God, but they will never be master over God's word. It is master. It is authority. It is final. The Bible is God's book. And that's a beautiful thing because it's as if the architect has given us his blueprints. Consider with me the words of Jesus. For Matthew chapter 7, when it said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell 
and the great and great was the fall of it. And then the following verses. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Authority. Not like their scribes and Pharisees. It just plays out. Now, it doesn't say put your house upon the rock and then it won't rain, right? It says it's going to rain. The storms are going to come. You are going to be tried. That is the nature of fallen creation. But that if you put your house on the rock, that is Christ, and rest in the teachings of the one who came and taught and revealed as one with authority, then you'll survive. You'll be saved. There was a character in history. Her name was Corrie Ten Boom. She was a part of a family. Some of you probably know of Corrie Ten Boom. She was a, a, a Christian, a Dutch Christian, during the time of World War II, that uh, while the rest of... <laughs> The rest of European Christendom was bowing to Nazis. Her and her family did not. And eventually, she, she served as almost kind of like an underground railroad for Jews and, and gypsies and people with mental infirmities and physical disabilities. Essentially, everybody, the Nazis wanted to send to concentration camps and exterminate, right? She, her and her family took these people in made renovations to their house so they could hide these people. By the way, if you've never heard the book, The Hiding Place, or there's a movie called The Hiding Place, you might look that up. It's, a, it's her story. And they took these Jews and undesirables, as the Nazis called them, in, and, and, they, and they cared for them, and they loved them, and they tried to make arrangements for them to be able to escape the Nazis. And eventually, somebody tipped, her off, tipped off the, the Nazi party, and they went in and arrested her in 1944, and she was shipped off to a concentration camp with the rest of the undesirables as well. There's a quote she said, and the quote has power because of the context of Corey Ten Boom. She said this, look to the world and you will despair. Look into yourself and you will be depressed. But look to the Lord and you will know true rest. Look to the world, you'll be in despair. Can I get a witness? Look to yourself and you'll be depressed. But look to the Lord and you will find rest. Look to the author. And then look at him through his authoritative word that you can trust. Because it comes from the one who is ultimately trustworthy. And so there's only one point of conclusion that I have today. Just one, one applicational point. It's this. Give the word, give the word, the final word. In your life, give the word, the final word. In decisions, in your habits, in your relationships, in your attitudes, in your communication, in parenting styles, in matters of conscience, in church attendance and membership, 
in how you spend your time and who you spend it around. Give the word the final word and how you interpret and interact with the events of our day. Give the word the final word. And most importantly, where you place your eternal hope, give the word the final word. Salvation is not going to come in the form of a president. Salvation is not going to come in the form of a law. Salvation is not going to come in the form of who you make friends with or how successful your business is or the next promotion you want at work. That's not salvation. All those things might be good, might be helpful, but salvation comes from one place and one place alone, and it's the word with a big W, with a capital W. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, brothers and sisters, today my prayer is that as we navigate these tough times, that we remember the rock on which we have built our house, and that we build our house according to the plans the architect has clearly laid out to us as our ultimate and final authority. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, which gives us life and strength. We thank you that it's clear enough to be understood even by the the unlearned. And Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that we can trust it. And that it can speak to us. We don't have to, Lord, we don't have to wonder whether or not what's in there is going to be the right thing for us. It is. It's time-tested. It's authoritative because of you who wrote it. As we stand together now, Lord, and sing, help us to be reminded of the one on whom we build our, our house, we construct our lives, the rock, the ancient of days, our Savior, Jesus. And it's in his, it's in his name that we pray. Amen.